Hey, yo, what up, human beings, pets, extraterrestrials, ghosts, potentially bears? My name is Nick. You're listening to Spiffy Bender Radio. Let's talk some puck. So, typically I lean more towards uh, humorous content, or at least I try to be funny. Or maybe I don't try to be funny, but I'm trying to entertain, try to be a bit lighthearted, um, lean on levity, so to speak. And... I didn't really want to start an episode in this manner and to cover more serious topics or topics that I really can't inject humor into or, you know, it would be inappropriate if I did. But at the same time, if I'm going to create content or host a podcast about hockey, I have to cover the stuff I don't like just as much or when it's important to cover as I cover what I enjoy covering about hockey. So instead of skipping this story like I wanted to, I'm going to address it and I'm going to do the best I can. There's not a lot of information out there yet, for one. And two, I don't know if my opinion on this will carry any weight or will matter at all in the grand scheme but I'm gonna try my best to put something at least useful and listenable out there so without further ado let's just jump into this situation as reported by Rick what Rick Westhead from TSN the story came out a few days ago uh, the title here is Penguins told NHL coach to stay quiet about wife's sexual assault lawsuits that says. Okay, I am pretty sure that Rick Westhead is um, the human being who broke this story. Originally um, wrote and posted this story. So hopefully proper credit has been given. Um, and as the title says, this does contain material about sexual assault. So if that's a subject that you don't really want to hear about, or if it's a subject that you don't really want my opinion on, um, you are free to skip ahead. Not going to hurt my feelings. I'll leave a timestamp in the description of this episode so that you can move on to the rest of the material in this this iteration of Spiffy Bender Radio. I'm going to read from the story. I may read the entire story and comment on it in sections as we move along, or I'm not entirely sure. I have read it before, so I have thoughts in my head. I'm just going to go through it and kind of parse everything together moving forward. The Pittsburgh Penguins are accused in a lawsuit of hiring and retaining a coach they knew to be a serial sexual harasser who is alleged to have assaulted another coach's wife during a team road trip. Jared Scald, and if I mispronounce that, apologies, or if I mispronounce anybody's name or names of cities, whatever, always apologies. Jared Scald, a former assistant coach with the Penguins American Hockey League affiliate, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, alleges in a lawsuit filed November 3rd in U.S. District Court in Pennsylvania that then, when then Wilkes-Barre Scranton head coach Clark Donatelli assaulted his wife, Aaron, when the three of them were in a car together during a team road trip in Providence, Rhode Island. 
The allegations against the Penguins, the Lemieux Group, which owns and operates the NHL franchise, and Donatelli have not been proven. A lawyer for the Penguins wrote in an email to TSN on Saturday that the team has filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit. So, just off the top, okay, this is a potentially disgusting story. This, some of the implications here early on that the Penguins were aware of Clark Donatelli's past transgressions or um, past um, assaults. I don't know if he actually assaulted anybody up before this point. That's hopefully not fucking true as a fan of the Penguins. Um, But moving forward, we'll get more information, I'm sure. And that's the big thing about this story thus far. This outlines allegations made by one party against another. This isn't an entirely factually proven incident yet. This is just coming to light in the media. So I want to process the story as I'm seeing it here. And I don't want to diminish um, what the scalds are going through or what they're attempting to do about the situation they found themselves in. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody yet, but as we go along, you'll see it's pretty easy to point fingers at at least one person involved in this situation. Okay. After the Scalds and Donatelli had dinner together following a game on November 11th, 2018, and prepared to return to their hotel, the Scalds allege in their claim that Donatelli sexually assaulted Aaron when they were briefly alone, first putting his arm around her, calling her sexy, and pulling her close to him. All right, bud, that's a little sus. Gotta say it, that you're doing that to somebody you know is married. Even if you're kidding around and you guys to this point, or these people to this point, had a kind of jokey, close, friendly relationship where that's just part of the humor and their banter, that's still creepy. It would still be off-putting to me personally as a human being if somebody acted that way with my significant other. Mrs. Skull tried to fight off his sexual advances and told him to stop, but to no avail, as Mr. Donatelli escalated his attack, including reaching his hands into Miss Skull's shirt and repeatedly touching her breasts, the lawsuit alleges. Fuck, but that's just keeps getting worse. This is terrible. Scald returned to his wife and Donatelli a few minutes later, and they took a car ride service back to the hotel. Donatelli insisted that he sit in the back seat with Aaron for the ride, and that Scald sit in the front. Like, what the fuck is that? Honestly, um, I again, I'm not sure of their relationship at the time, the nature of how they interacted with one another. But again, who wouldn't like? That would trigger something in my brain immediately. But like I said, I can't really speak for um, Mr. Skull in this situation because I don't know what he would think given their history of interactions together. But again, that seems sus as fuck. Okay. Still in shock and uncertain what to do in response to her husband's boss sexually assaulting her, Mrs. Scald fearfully entered the back seat of the car, trying to put as much distance between herself and Mr. Donatelli as she could to avoid him again sexually touching her, the lawsuit says. 
Mr. Donatelli resumed his sexual assault and battery of Mrs. Scald once he had her in the darkness of the back seat. He not only groped her breasts again, but also forced his hands down her pants and touched her vagina, despite her efforts to push him away. Only later did Mr. Scald find out what happened to his wife that night, shaking him to the core to learn that he had sat unknowingly in the front seat as his boss had sexually assaulted his wife. Okay, so I'm not going to jump on the side of the conversation that suggests that he couldn't possibly have not noticed as somebody who has taken corporate or business road trips with groups of people. I can say that, for example, if I wound up sitting alone in the passenger seat while somebody else is driving, I probably have earbuds in. I'm probably listening to something on Spotify. I'm oblivious to the world. I needed to decompress in these situations. So I wouldn't be surprised if Jared Scald was similarly decompressing. This isn't in the story. This is just me extrapolating or um, speculating a bit. So forgive the speculation if you don't want to hear such things. But I'm just saying, like, this seems gross and it seems fucked up and it seems almost impossible when you're just talking about a car a car ride and what led to Clark Donatelli being alone in the backseat with Aaron Scald. But I can understand how this happened. So I'm not immediately triggered to respond and call Jared Scald a beta or whatever. I don't see that as far as what the evidence, well, it's not evidence. As long as, as far as these allegations go, I don't see an issue with this occurring. And I feel horrible if this is what actually happened truthfully for, of course, Aaron and Jared as well. To to live with that for the rest of your life has got to be an absolute mindfuck. And it's probably going to take a lot of therapy for, I mean, of course, both of them to get through this and to get back to some semblance of normalcy, but to live with that as a, as a man for the rest of your life has got to be extraordinarily trying. I would imagine. Okay. Scott alleges that seven months later, seven months later, when the incident was brought to the attention of Penguins assistant general manager, Bill Guerin, whose duties included overseeing the NHL team's AHL operation, Guerin told Scott to keep quiet about the alleged assault. He alleges the NHL team has violated Pennsylvania's whistleblower laws and fired him on May 5th, 2020, because he complained to the team. That's not a good look. Even if he wasn't fired because he complained to the team, if there's a legit reason, which the Penguins do put out a legit reason, which we'll hear later. That's just a bad move from a PR standpoint. Like both not for some reason, not thinking this would ever reach the media or light of day. And to then subsequently terminate the person who could bring a lawsuit against you or levy these allegations against you. I mean, I'm not saying that the penguins should have been sus about well, suspect about maintaining his employment to ensure that he stay quiet because that's grody as fuck too. 
but it just doesn't make sense from a PR standpoint. Um, as far as, okay, and Garen declined comment for initially and then released a comment through his lawyer that denied the allegations in this article, but not directly denying whether or not he told Jared Scald to keep quiet. But however, Garen telling Scald to keep quiet about the situation that's a little vague. And I need more information for me to generate an opinion. I need more fact because to me, it could potentially have been Garen telling Scald to not say anything to anybody until the investigations were conducted. And that would be a move that makes sense for a corporation to make. So I wouldn't see any wrongdoing from that angle. But if Garen legitimately told Scald to shut up or else, then Garen needs the answer for that situation and at minimum needs to lose his job as general manager of the Minnesota Wild. Just my opinion on that matter. But we'll see moving forward the exact like connotation of what Garen told Scald in, in this situation, in this meeting. Uh, until then, we can't really know, but we do know that there's a bit of incompetence running through Pittsburgh Penguins management. Okay. The Scalds have requested damages for physical and emotional pain and mental suffering and loss of income. They have not clarified the amount of money they're seeking, they're seeking but, you know, just standard. That's status quo for um, what could potentially turn into litigation based on these allegations. Okay, so Donatelli's lawyer, Dan Breyer, declined to comment. Of course, he's in the middle of a shitstorm, probably needs more time to think about what the fuck's going on. The Penguins allege in their motion to dismiss this case that Scald should not be afforded protections under Pennsylvania's whistleblower laws because he didn't notify the team about the alleged assault within 100 days, 180 days of the incident, which the team says is required under state law. Okay. So, are they correct? Yes. Should they have taken this stance because they were correct and justified in doing so from a legal standpoint? Man, fuck. I mean, it's covering their ass, but it just sucks that it has to go to this direction because in a lot of cases of sexual assault, it takes a long time for the victim to feel like they can come forward. And four months isn't a long time. I'm sorry. Four months isn't a long time. Maybe that law needs to be changed to stretch that out a bit more when it comes to something like sexual assault or rape. Uh, I would like to see some change in that from just a legal standpoint. Because, yeah, it could, it could take a great deal of time for somebody to even feel like they're back to being human enough to respect themselves enough to take action. That's a terrible, I've never been in this situation. I've never been sexually assaulted. So I have no idea, no frame of reference really, but it has to be absolutely horrific. And I don't know how I would react if I were sexually assaulted by somebody to be honest. So the team investigated and took immediate action in June 2019 when notified of the alleged incident, which Mr. Scald reported seven months after it allegedly occurred. 
Penguins lawyer Lori Armstrong wrote. Mr. Scald continued to coach for the team for an additional year when his contract was not renewed due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The allegations made against the team have no merit and we have moved to dismiss the complaint. Okay, so if they acted with um, propriety, uh, prudently, by letter of the law, then they're correct. The Penguins management itself would not be accountable for what had occurred. They'd be far enough for removed. If their version of the truth is the actual truth, we don't know yet. So it's all speculation until we get more facts. That he could have been dismissed because of the pandemic, that seems entirely reasonable. Was it a good move to, like I said, dismiss a person who could allege or could potentially bring this situation or situation like this to light that reflects negatively on your organization? Probably not a good look, but that's pretty much it. It's just not a good look. The Skulls didn't immediately report the assault to the Penguins because they had never experienced such an attack and were unsure what to do, the lawsuit says. The Skulls also were concerned that reporting the conduct could lead to retaliation and create a crisis for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins in the middle of the season, causing harm to the team and its players through no fault of the Skulls. Okay, so I can... If he's just a good dude, I can see that point of view. But at the same time, number one, waiting seven months when... I mean, I don't know what went on after this happened and Mr. and Mrs. Scald had to face each other and start processing this. Maybe she didn't want him to move forward on her behalf. Maybe she told him to keep quiet until they processed this. Maybe she just wasn't ready. Maybe they weren't ready. Maybe they're just working for what they do. Maybe they were legitimately scared. They're, I mean, we're extrapolating and like, I'm like writing my own stories here or potential stories through speculation, but maybe somebody did intimate to them that if they move forward, Jared Skull's career in hockey would be over. We don't know if that's true or not. We need more facts. Once again, I'll say that a lot. I've already said that a lot. We need more facts. Scott said Monday that the alleged incident was never reported to the police. He did confront Donatelli about the alleged sexual assault on May 15th, 2019, the lawsuit contends. So May 15th, 2019 is when he confronts the person who sexually assaulted his wife. November 11th, 2018 is when this actually occurred. That's a fucking long time. And like I said, I don't know how these human beings felt from one date to the other. I do personally not understand why they just didn't go to the authorities sooner. If the end goal was to eventually go to the authorities anyhow, um, I'm not going to yell at these human beings for not bring, being brave immediately because they're being brave now. So at least it's happening, but I mean, personally, as a human being, I wish it happened sooner. So the, the human beings involved, if they were involved and actually did commit these acts, these various heinous acts, they need to pay. And 
okay, so we're getting to the maybe one absolute certainty in this entire story. Donatelli claimed he was too drunk to recall the events of the night in question, but six days later, he met with Jared Scald and apologized, the claim says. After Aaron Scald confronted Donatelli, the lawsuit says Donatelli pledged to Mr. and Mrs. Scald that he would change his ways, seek help, and come forward to the Penguins' assistant general manager, Billy Guerin, about what he had done. Okay. So, he, he has admitted right there that he did this shit. So, whether or not he needs help, it doesn't matter. He's done some fucking trash piece of shit stuff. And he needs to pay. Sick or not. And, I mean... For me personally, from a speculation, speculative standpoint, I don't think he's sick. I think he's just a piece of garbage. When Donatelli failed to follow through with telling Garen about his behavior or changing his ways, piece of garbage move. Scott alleges he reported the sexual assault to Garen at the NHL draft in Vancouver on June 21st, 2019. Four days later, Scald met with a Penguins lawyer to discuss the assault. The Penguins never contacted Aaron to interview her about what happened, apologized for the assault, or provide any expression of support or remorse to Scald's allege. If this allegation is true, then there's definitely some gross, shitty, just malignant people in the Penguins organization. Where this wound up going throughout the organization would only be speculation. There's nothing here to suggest that Marilyn you did or didn't know about this situation. There's nothing to suggest that Ron Burgle did it or didn't know about this situation. So I'm going to reserve judgment of them until more, more information comes out. On June 28, 2019, the Penguins announced Donatelli had resigned for personal reasons. All right, so another admission of douchebaggery. This guy's a total piece of shit and he deserves jail time is what it is. So Bill Guerin was told about what had happened. So four days later, Scald met with Penguins lawyers and beyond the bullshit of them being totally insensitive, whether or not that's true, that would put that at the 25th. Then three days later, Donatelli under I'm assuming massive pressure resigned. So Garen later advised Mr. Scald that the Penguins were terminating Mr. Donatelli's employment, but instructed Jared that knowledge of the incident and termination had to be suppressed, cautioning that it has to stay quiet and can't be let out. The lawsuit says, okay, so from what I'm reading here, that does sound gross as fuck. And it depends on what was actually meant or implied by Garen allegedly telling Scald to keep quiet. So it took seven days from, from Scald reporting it to Garen to Donatelli resigning for the tumor to be excised, so to speak. I think saying keep quiet a about the incident itself be is because nothing has yet been brought to the courts, brought to the police 
he was not fired because it had been proven that he had sexually assaulted Aaron Scald. He resigned, which is essentially an admission of guilt, before the Penguins could investigate and prove that he did indeed do that and follow through with criminal charges and criminal proceedings. So for them to not want that to come out in the public until it had been proven and litigated makes sense from a corporate standpoint as golly and gross as that is. That's just how corporations operate. So I'm not surprised. However, if Garen did indeed suggest that if Scald came forward or talked about this incident, that he would never work in hockey again, then Garen, too, is a piece of trash and needs to answer for his actions. And so it's proven that what he did and what he intended is what he did and what he intended to do. Then I got to reserve judgment for the time being on Bill Garen. But I do, once again, wish to, would like to iterate that Clark Donatelli is a garbage human being. Okay, then we got where Scald was fired due to the COVID-19 cutbacks, even though he insists it's because he complained. It could go either way. Once again, need more information. Here's a big one, though. The Scalds also allege in their 22-page claim that they learned of countless other episodes of inappropriate conduct by Mr. Donatelli, sexual and otherwise, which apparently the Penguins were aware of but did little or nothing to stop. Donatelli's misconduct was well known by the Penguins' management but tolerated because he was a successful coach. The lawsuit says the Penguins should have been on notice about Donatelli's conduct, which allegedly included making crude and physical sexual advances on women while working for the organization and having sexual relations with lower-level staff at Mohegan Sun Arena, where the NHL team plays its own games. The Penguins were fully aware of this conduct and that it put others, especially women, at high risk of being sexually assaulted by him, but continued to tolerate it and took no action to protect employees, family members, or others who came in contact with Donatelli through his powerful position as a head coach for the Penguins, the lawsuit says. Ooh, gotta breathe. So, that's just, if this is true, not beyond, like, beyond whether or not Donatelli actually made other advances toward other people, or actually plied his position of power for lower level human beings, I'm assuming women, to perform sexual favors on him or else suffer the consequences or not be able to um, move up. I'm not shocked so far that this is the case, judging by what I've read and what he seems to be running away from. It's kind of like, if the shoe fits, then tie a noose with the shoestrings and hang him from the rafters like a fucking championship banner at this point. The guy needs to fucking pay. It's gross. And the Penguins actually, if anybody in the organization knew about that, whoever was aware of this and let it slide because he won NHL, AHL games, they need to be fucking dealt with immediately, expeditiously, and with great impunity, they need to be taken the fuck apart, taken down, removed 
from this pro- profession and potentially like face criminal charges. I'm not, I'm not sure to what extent they could be charged criminally for just turning a blind eye to this, to knowing that there was a sexual predator in their employee and allowing him to predate upon people because he was a successful coach. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I hope this allegation is just not true at all, because honestly, I would, the way I'm thinking that um, infrastructure works as far as um, the management of the Penguins franchise or any NHL franchise goes, there'd be a lot of people high up that knew about this and said nothing. I would have to find a new team to root for as much as it would like fucking suck because I'm a massive Penguins fan. I'm a Mark. I've, they're my hometown team. I've been a fan my entire life. They've been my number number one squad from day one. But this would change that entirely. I'd have to start rooting for another team because this is just fucking disgusting, these allegations. But so far, that's the key. They are allegations. Aside from what I could discern from Clark Donatelli's actions. Trash bag. But hopefully this all gets sorted out quickly. And... Anybody who is in the wrong in this situation is dealt with in an appropriate fashion. We're talking about human beings here who um, have had their lives ruined. Regardless of what else Donatelli has done, just in this single situation, the Scald's lives have been essentially ruined by this human being. And if it was facilitated in former fashion by the organization then that just makes it even more disgusting so i just hope whoever is responsible for this shit pays the highest price possible i'm sure a lot of people feel that way but that's my opinion on the story so far i will pay attention moving along as the evidence is presented to the public but like i said hopefully with this being in the public and these people are obviously still dealing with psychological and emotional wounds from this happening. I hope it is just closed out as quickly and as privately as possibly can be so they can move forward their lives with hopefully some closure. But that's it for this portion of the discussion. Now let's talk about something else, I suppose. Okay, so it seems the NHL is looking for towards uh starting the next season with an eye towards january 13th or 15th i'm not entirely sure but good news i'm sure many people would believe the the beautiful game the game that i personally love will soon be back on television one well one would hope or the nhl certainly hopes as it's a massive part of their business model you know presenting a product um as i said before I would not have really, really thoroughly missed NHL hockey if they decided to wait until a traditional like restart or the traditional start of the hockey season, like this coming October. I'd have been okay with it. I didn't need to see hockey on television, but I'd be lying if I said that I wanted them to wait until October. I want to see it tomorrow. I want to see it. I just don't need to. What I 
do need to see when the NHL comes back to action is a product that is put together in the safest and most conscientious way possible. They did a pretty good job with the bubble. I enjoyed the bubble playoffs. I've admitted that before in the past. And if they can maintain these bubbles or maintain these close travel divisions, keep these sectional like divisions in this sectioned off league as free of positive COVID-19 test results as possible. If they can do it well, safely, with respect to the players as well, because once again, let's not forget, yeah, I understand the want to see NHL hockey, but they're human beings too, and they're dealing with a lot. They're going to have to deal with being away from their family if they have to stay in a bubble. They have to deal with potentially catching the virus and you know they're finely tuned elite athletes so for the most part it's probably not going to stop the vast majority of these human beings but at the same time they can't play when they're sick you can't have somebody who is tested positive and only test positive play that's going to open pandora's box so you know, they will at least be out of games. Like you're watching NFL games where like they have to go grab people off the streets because everybody's getting sick because they're not taking this seriously. And if you want to hop on the train where you think that athletes should be role models, then you should be expecting and holding these people to a higher standard. And they should be practicing proper social distancing protocols and wearing a mask when they're supposed to be wearing a mask. Me personally, I don't think entertainers need to be role models, but like I appreciate when entertainers do take that role. So, but I don't think you should just look up the people just because you see them on TV. That's fucking that's crazy shit. That's crazy town. So, like I said, hopefully moving forward, if they are actually going to pull the trigger on a mid-January start date that they have everything in place to protect these people, everything in place to protect the production crews, everything in place to deal with mitigating circumstances moving forward, to deal with a possible outbreak within bubbles, to effectively have the balls to pull the plug on this quote-unquote experiment if it goes completely awry and just start over. I'm still holding fast to my suggestion that the NHL just cut ties with cable and move into their own streaming service. I don't know logistically or financially if that's possible, but I think it'd be cool as fuck. And it could give them more autonomy moving forward in situations like this because they are coming back to play in part to salvage money from the present TV deal and to make the possibility of attaining the best possible TV deal they can in the next set of negotiations um, more likely. So I understand that they need to get back to playing so that they can continue making money both as ownership groups and as the players association. But hopefully I don't, and I'm sorry to say this to people who work in concessions or work security in arenas and, but I don't want to see anybody in attendance at a game until October, until, until, you know, the 
the vaccines have cycled through the population a couple of times and we see what happens once this occurs. And there's more history of this virus existing to call information from moving forward. So keep people safe. Keep them out of the fucking arenas. Let's just watch this shit on TV. The presentation looked great during the um, playoff bubble. So I'm looking forward to see what tweaks they make moving forward in that as well. Maybe there will see some nuances that we've yet to see and production that we have yet to see employed in the NHL up to this point. So rooting for it, rooting for it to work. Can't wait to see it. Just want to see it when it's properly executed. I'm trying to get my cat off of my notebook here. Then we move on to the last portion of this episode. We're going to take a trip to the adjacent section or possibly the moon in the Benderverse. Hopefully we find the rabbit on this moon. Be cool as fuck. As you can hear, I am drinking a beer. And who doesn't love beer league? So when you roll up to the parking lot, you got a sixer? What you bringing? Let me answer that question for you. Right here and right now. I have wrote the um, list of your next parking lot sixer. I've got three for the pre and three for hopefully the Sally. So first off, we'll go with the three for the pre. And I put about five minutes of thought into this because, I mean, as a beer leaguer, it doesn't really take much thought for me to come up with a list of beers. The first on my list, Narragansett Lager, which if you have been listening for a while, you know I fucking love me some Gansett. Well-respected beer from Rhode Island. This smooth, crisp, and clean. Tastes like it was like brewed with some clean fucking water as I rattled a goddamn notebook around. It's my fra- my fave go-to beer in the 20 or so dollar for a 30 rack price range. Super tasty. It's only 5% alcohol like many beers like Budweiser or Iron City, this, that, the other. It's the beer from Jaws. I mean, fuck. How can you go wrong with that? You can't. Second beer in the three of the pre section. Vorsteiner Dunkel. Just an excellent example of German engineering. It's 4.8% alcohol by volume, so pretty light. It's a crisp, dark amber ale. It's smooth. It tastes like it's brewed with spring water. It's so crisp and clean. And, you know, for a dark beer, pretty light. It's light on the alcohol volume, obviously. It's a it's a great sipper. And also, when you taste it, dude, as far as I go, and I taste it, I immediately just want a bowl of pretzels in front of me. It's, it's like the only beer that I can think of having or tasting that when I taste it, I just want pretzels. It really puts me in a classic place. Maybe it'll put you in a classic place, a classic frame of mind, too. It's also not that expensive. It's about... 10 bucks for a sixer, which, I mean, puts it in, you know, average microbrew range, that entry level for microbrews. Third beer, Platform Basic Lager. It is exactly what it says. It's a basic lager. 4.6% alcohol by volume, so it's going to kick you less in the ass than Gansett, which isn't going to kick you in the ass really at all. 
It's smooth. It's crisp and clean. It's fucking Ohio strong. Every beer that I've had from Platform, I've fucking enjoyed. So there's that too. Platform Basic is actually really similar to Gansett in taste, um, flavor, and weight. Um, the best way I can describe Platform, it's like Gourmet Iron City. Um, it's a little bit more pricey than Gansett, but not by a lot. It's really low end for a microbrew. It's a fantastic taste. It, it, it won't make you feel like garbage if you have a few when you wake up in the morning. All good light beers that are gonna like aren't gonna limit your skating when you get out there. So can't say the same for the three for the Selly. The first for the Selly, Terrapin Muhu Chocolate Milk Stout. Georgia Sweet Georgia. Put out one of the best chocolate milk stouts on the planet. This one boasts a 6.1% alcohol by volume, so it's got a tiny bit of weight to it, a little bit of gravity. It's an absolute killer because it isn't insanely chocolatey. It's not chocolatey to the point where it doesn't taste like a beer. It tastes like a beer with a hint of chocolate. It's smooth, and for a stout, and especially a milk stout, it's really crisp, which is atypical, in my opinion, of... I mean, at least the stouts that I have have drank, have tasted, it doesn't have that weight to it. It's absolute quality, and one's not going to kill you. So that's always good if you're having to drive home after the game. The next beer for the Selly. From Pittsburgh, PA, babe. 5% alcohol. Pembrewery Nut Roll Ale. And this, since Traveler um, stopped making beer and then subsequently was bought by Sam Adams, Pembrewery Nut Roll Ale is my favorite winter beer, by far. It's not sugary. It's not like a candy-coated version of what you would think a nut roll would taste like. It tastes like an actual nut roll. And I find that phenomenal. It's like how Halloween time for the fall beers, you get the pumpkin beer. And there's some that taste like pumpkin pie and there's others that taste like candy, pumpkin spice. Well, this will be on the pumpkin pie spectrum. And it's no coincidence that I like the pumpkin pie, uncandied version of the fall beer, as opposed to the candied version. Too much sugar, man. I just can't handle it anymore. I'm getting fucking old. But it's like the rest of these beers. And then, you know, there is an obvious pattern forming here. Um, It's super crisp and tastes super clean. And it doesn't hit too hard, you know, that 5% alcohol by volume point. Um, It's just, it's fucking bomb. It's hard to get now. It's already pretty much sold out around Pittsburgh area. I haven't seen it around much. It goes quick because it's such a fucking quality beer. But if you can get your hands on it, Enjoy your motherfucking self. The last beer on this list is a motherfucker. An absolute motherfucker for sure. Prairie Bomb Imperial Stout from motherfucking Oklahoma. This is 13% alcohol by volume. This is a $10 a bottle beer. So if you're balling on a budget, I'm sorry if I blew it up for you. But I'm saying if you got 10 extra bucks, you're not going to miss it. Buy a bottle of this fucking beer. If you're a style fan, this will fucking knock your goddamn face off. It's a aged in coffee, cacao nibs, 
vanilla beans and ancho chili peppers, which I, I'm pretty sure that's a dry poblano. I'm talking to a, a um, kitchen gardener here, by the way. It's fucking delicious. Like, seriously, no joke. It's absolutely fucking delicious. If you like Imperial Stouts that hit hard, this motherfucker is smooth. It's heavy. You get that feeling you get when you drink a glass of wine, that heat in your head. That's the best way I can describe it. But you get that, and it's smooth, and you get the flavor profile. You don't lose any of the elements in there. You get them all both blended together, and you can pick them out. This is a well-crafted, well-put-together beer. Every year they put it out. And it's just... I couldn't recommend it highly enough. I think got got 100% on... Um, I forget the site. I'm sorry. But, you know, it's really highly thought of all across the world. But, however, if you're going to drink this in the parking lot after the game, two suggestions. One, pour it in a cup. Two... Have a designated driver on hand. Please, for the love of fucking God, But Make it to the next game. That's all I'm saying. Just make it to the next game. Don't hurt anybody out there. But enjoy this motherfucking beer. You will enjoy this motherfucking beer. And it might be the only beer you need to enjoy. Take the other two home if you need to. Or drink the two lesser weights during the celly and save this when you get home to just decompress and have that moment by yourself where you think about the game, you think about the good time. And... You just enjoy a really good fucking beer, which is what I'm doing right now. I am drinking Peter Straub's Signature Brews Winter Bash, and it's fucking weird. It's pretty much like a Lion Kugel with Shandy, super fruity, but at the same time, it seems to turn into like a second beer where you get the, the weedy taste of Straub on the backside. It's like two different beers that get delivered at two different times. To your palate strange but fun pretty light ain't gonna fuck you up good times so on that note as i sip this take care of yourselves out there take care of one another shake hands after the game peace